Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 42. Let me read our verses and then we will pray together. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 42. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, um, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you you spend, I will repay when, when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who, was, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, once again we are thankful to be in Your Word. We're thankful to sit under it. And we pray that um, You would work in our hearts um, as as we think through this passage Pray that you would bless this sermon and do good work through your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So we have two fascinating stories in front of us uh, this morning. These, are, these, these probably are, are well known to most of us. Probably you've, you've at least heard um, these stories. Most of us in here uh, um, probably have heard these stories before. We've probably thought through these stories um, before. There's a lot here, right? And, and as I was reading these two stories, you're probably thinking, yeah, I've, I've heard these, these, these stories before, and um, I've heard lessons or, or sermons about this. And then you probably also thought, why in the world is Steve trying to preach both of these in, in one sermon? He can't, he can't preach one of them in 45 minutes. How does he think he's going to do both? Well, first of all, thank you for the question. I don't, I don't like your attitude, but thank you for the question. Secondly, I think that we need to put these stories together in one sermon because Luke has them together. Luke, Luke puts these sermons, 
or these stories back to back. Um, these, these most likely, almost positive, these stories didn't happen, you know, chronologically back to back. Um, they, they, there's probably weeks, maybe even a couple of months in between these two stories, uh, like in real life, but Luke has them together. He wants us to consider them together, so that's what we're going to do. And as we think about these two stories together, we're going to be reminded of three very important truths. We have three very important truths that come from these two stories this morning. Um, Three truths that we forget often. I don't think I'm going to surprise you with anything that I say this morning. I don't think any of these truths, you're going to be like, whoa, never thought about that before. But, because you're you're a human, because we're, we're wired the way we are, we automatically drift away from these truths very quickly. We forget these truths very, very quickly. So, so these are, these are important, three important truths for us to remember this morning, for us to, to get into our, our heads and into our hearts. So let's look at these two stories and let's be reminded of these three truths. Alright, now, truth number one, truth number one, we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot justify ourselves. Verse 29 is a very uh, revealing verse in this story. The, the, the lawyer there, it says in verse 29, was desiring to justify himself. This helps us to kind of get inside the mind of this lawyer and understand what was making him tick. What was making him ask these questions that he was asking. Now, when Luke calls up this person a lawyer, he doesn't, he's not thinking of a lawyer the way we think of a lawyer. Uh, a lawyer in this case meant someone who was an expert in Old Testament law. Like, this man knew the, the, the law of the Old Testament. He, he knew Judaism. He, he knew his religion inside and out. This man knew his stuff. That's the law that we're talking about here. And it says he's a lawyer, he's an, he's an expert in religious law, in, in the Jewish religion, in the Old Testament law. He's an expert. But he had somehow along the way gotten way off track, hadn't he? Because he was trying to use the law to justify himself. Now, Romans is clear. The book of Romans is clear. Only God can justify us. And He must do this only through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to to be justified? What does it mean that this man was trying to justify himself? What does it mean that God justifies us? It, It simply means that God is the one who declares that we are righteous. God decides... That, that, that our record is clean before Him. God is the one who decides that we have no sins to pay for. That we are just or righteous or good in the sight of God. Only God can do that. And only through Jesus Christ. It is because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for our sin. That's, that's the reason that we are no longer guilty before God. If our faith is in Christ and Him alone, that is the only way we can be justified. That we, can, that we can be, that, that we can have the stamp of approval, that we can have a clean record, no sins to pay for in, in, in the sight of God. But this lawyer wants to do it himself. He wants to be declared righteous because of his own good works. 
And so what he is doing is he is working really hard. He's doing uh, what we call mental gymnastics. He's, he's doing a lot of manipulation in his mind to get the law down to something that he can accomplish. Um, our, our friend over here, um, Josh Newfer, who does not like attention, so he's probably going to be sick the next seven Sundays and never come to church again. Anyhow, Josh Newfer is going into ninth grade this year, and he can dunk a basketball. When I was going into ninth grade, I could also dunk a basketball. Um, but in order to do that, I had to bring the rim down from ten feet to seven feet. <laughs> I just had to change. I just had to change the thing a little bit. I had, to, I had to manipulate what it meant to dunk a basketball. I can do it. I can still do it. My good days, I can probably, you know, I'm almost six foot tall. I can almost dunk on a seven foot rim probably on a, on a good day when I'm feeling really limber, you know. I can dunk. Sure. The, 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 this lawyer, he's, he's trying to just, just manipulate what it means. He's trying to justify himself by, by just, just, you know, defining the law a certain way. You, you get that. It comes really clear through here in verse 25. Behold, this lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, most of the time we don't think of inheriting having anything to do with what we do, right? You don't do something to inherit. You just receive an inheritance, right? It's just a gift. It's, it's, you, you're just born into a family, and so you inherit because of the family you're born into. It's nothing to do with what any, anything you do. This man, though, thought that you could do something to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus says to him, what is written in the law? Have you, how, how do you read it? And the lawyer answered in verse 27, he gives a he gives a good answer. He gives a really good summation of the law. He 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 gets right down to the essence of the law. He does a great job. He says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." Jesus Himself has said in other places, "These are the two greatest commandments." Yes, you you got it. And Jesus said to him, "You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live." Like yeah. That's the standard. Go do that. Verse 29, he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? The thing that's supposed to startle us here in this passage is just how this, this, this lawyer does not understand. He has no clue how far he falls short. Somehow, when this expert in the law read the commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. When that man read that commandment, he thought, yeah, I'm pretty much doing that. Yeah, I'm pretty much nailing it. I've got that down. I hope we understand this morning how foolish that is. I hope you understand this morning, you do not love God with all your heart. I do not love God with all my heart. We battle against selfishness and pride every single day. And sometimes selfishness and pride wins. There are many, many times where we don't love God the way He deserves to be loved. In fact, maybe the better question is, have we ever loved God the way He deserves to be loved? 
Have we ever met that standard? Can we honestly say that the decisions we make and the actions we do, they're always out of love for God and not out of maybe pride or selfishness or lust or unthankfulness or envy or greed? I mean, if that's the standard to get into heaven, which of us have a chance? How can we possibly, how can we possibly inherit eternal life if this is what you have to do? How could we possibly justify ourselves? How could we possibly be righteous enough? Do any of us have a chance? But this guy thinks he does. He thinks, yeah, I'm, I'm basically doing that. I, yeah, I, I, I think I am. But there's something about the way Jesus is talking. See, see, this man starts out wanting to put Jesus to the test. This is a very disrespectful thing to do. I'll, I'll, people back then could ask the teacher a question. That wasn't weird. That wasn't out of the ordinary. That was fine. But this man is not just asking a question to understand something better. This man is trying to make Jesus squirm. He's trying to, he's trying to back Jesus into a corner. He's trying to get Jesus to say something stupid or heretical. He's trying to get people to turn against Jesus. This is not the first or the last time this is going to happen in the Gospel stories. In fact, as Jesus gets closer to Jerusalem, as He gets closer to the cross, it's going to happen a lot more. They're trying to make Jesus squirm. They're trying to mess with Jesus. But Jesus has, as He always does, which is one of my favorite little plot lines in the New Testament, is just watching these guys come at Jesus and Jesus just turn the tables on them. I love it. It's, it's great. And this is what we see here. Jesus is making this guy squirm a little bit. So He's trying to justify Himself. He's trying to make sure that He's as good as He thinks He is. So He says in verse 29, Who is my neighbor. This is his way of saying, I think I'm pretty much nailing it. I think I've got it. I think I'm, I think I'm doing the whole obey the law perfectly thing. But just to make sure, let's clarify who my neighbor is. Because I, I mean, obviously I don't love everybody as I love myself. That's ridiculous. There's, there's people, there's people that, that deserve that kind of love. And then there's people that aren't my neighbor that are just on the outskirts. I don't need to love them, right? Right, 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 Jesus? Like, help me out here. Let's, let's make sure we understand where the circle is who I have to love, who I don't. Who can I ignore, is what this man is saying. So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan. This story always reminds me of my son Pete. Whenever I hear the story of the Good Samaritan, I always think of Pete. Not because he's a Good Samaritan, but that's the name of the hospital where he was born. I think. One of our kids was born there, right? Was it Pete? Yeah, it's Pete. Nailed it. So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And see, these aren't guys just like, Hey, give me all your money. These, these, are, like, these are like bandits. These are like murderous bandits. All right? who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and we saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Of course, of course the priest and the Levite passed by on the other side. They, there's no way they can get involved in this situation, right? I mean, for one thing, if you stop 
and you help this man who you have no idea who he is. He could be a Samaritan for all you know. You have no idea who he is. If you stop and you help him, you chances are probably you're going to get attacked as well. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big risk to stop on this road and do anything. You just want to kind of motor on home. You don't want to stop and, and, and risk your own life to help somebody. You don't even know who they are, if they even deserve your help. Even, who, who even knows? And the thing is, once you, I mean, I mean, there's, there's just no way you could actually help this person. I mean, you got into this and you realize just how big of a mess they're in. How in the world are you going to do any good? And really, you're a priest, you're a Levite. You, you've been serving in the temple in Jerusalem. You're coming home from serving in the temple. You've done your thing. Let somebody else take care of it. I mean, this is fine. We keep going, right? That's just... And there's a hundred other ways they could justify what they're doing. There's a hundred other ways they can pass by this guy and still declare themselves righteous before God. Sure. Verse 33, the story goes crazy. This is when the story just breaks down for people, for the Jews who are listening. They would have had a hard time with this next verse. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. This is, this is nuts. This is nuts. This is, this is making the villain into being the hero. This is like if I was telling my dad this story and I said that like it was a Democrat, alright? This is like, I mean, we're talking about someone on the opposite. <laughs> um, so, so we're not live streaming the services anymore, so things are just gonna, it's gonna be different from now on people. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> And I love my dad. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. A Samaritan, there's no way! The, the, the Samaritan was the Jews' like political, ethnic, social, um, theological enemy. I mean, he was just like, he was the enemy. And they had, a, they had a violent, a violent, hateful history. I mean, this is, this is way more than just political. This is way more than just, than just theological or social. I mean, these, these people hated each other. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. But here is this Samaritan who obviously doesn't fit the mold and he endangers himself. He risks his own, his own life. He uses his very expensive... He says, verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. This would have been very expensive. Then he set him on his own animal, which would have again been very dangerous, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. He's basically giving this innkeeper his credit card. He's saying, whatever you got to do, do it and put it on my bill. He's saving this man. Not only is he saving his life, but he's also definitely saving him from like a, a life of slavery. This, this man would have been so indebted to this innkeeper that he would have been his slave. He would, he would have had to enslave himself in order to pay this debt off. This, the, the Samaritan is saving this guy in every way you can think of. He is saving his life. And then Jesus, verse 36, asks the, the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus does this a lot. He just kind of switched the question. The man was asking, so the, the lawyer asked, 
who do I have to be a neighbor to? Who, who, can I, who do I have to love and who can I ignore? Is what, is what G, the, the man asked Jesus, the lawyer asked Jesus, like, who do, I have, who, who do I have to be kind to? Who's my neighbor? Jesus flips the question, doesn't he? He says, who do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's not, who do I have to love and who can I ignore? That's not the question anymore. The question is, what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? What does it look like to love others? Who is the one in the story who actually loved his neighbor? And the man can't even use the word Samaritan, right? He says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus says to him, there it is, there's the standard, go do it. Go do it. It's a fascinating way to end this conversation, isn't it? Why does Jesus end the conversation this way? Seems a little crazy. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is showing this lawyer how much he needs the mercy of God. He is showing this lawyer you cannot justify yourself. Jesus is saying, if this is the standard to love God with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself, if that's the standard, then you don't measure up. And this is the same for you and I. We, I mean, do we consistently love even our friends and our family, even the people we like? Do we, do we even love the people we like this way? And our track record is way worse with the people we don't like. We are the priest and the Levite. We are this lawyer. We, we may work really hard at justifying ourselves, but then Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. no. This is the standard. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the standard you do not measure up. That is the ultimate point of this story. You don't measure up. And that's the first truth that comes from this passage. We cannot justify ourselves. Truth number one, we cannot justify ourselves. Truth number two, we need Jesus to have compassion on us. We need Jesus to have compassion on us. So when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we should just join the psalmist in Psalm 130 who says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If this is your standard, God, then how how can any of us be declared righteous? That's the first thing that has to happen in our hearts. But then, we have to, we can't just hang out there, woe is me, we can't just, we can't just live in doom and gloom land. Then we have to remember, here's what's happening in the book of Luke. Here's what's happening in the book of Luke. We have to remember what section of Luke we're in. What part of the story we're in. We have to remember that just a few verses ago, I mean it was a lot of sermons ago, but just a few verses ago, in Luke 9.22, Jesus says to His disciples, the Son of Man must, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And then we saw in Luke 9.51, when the days drew near for Him to be taken up, He set His face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus says, I must go and die for you, so I'm going to set My face to go to Jerusalem. I am determined to go to Jerusalem. 
So, so Jesus is, is telling this story on the way to the cross. He is telling this story on the way to Jerusalem where He is going to die for you and die for me. He's telling this story so we'll understand why the Son of Man must suffer many things. Jesus had to die for us because we could never justify ourselves. We have God's standard staring us in the face. We could never measure up. We we absolutely, 100% were this man that Jesus talked about. This, this man who had, who had been devastated. We were helpless, broken, beaten, naked on the side of the road with no hope. And we weren't devastated because some robbers came by and, and assaulted us. We were devastated because of our own sin. And then Jesus came by. And it would make perfect sense to any of us if Jesus would have said, you know what? You've actually treated me like a Samaritan. I'm going to walk on the other side of the road. I'm going to pass over this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to ignore you. You've treated me as an enemy. Scripture is very clear. Jesus died for us when we, when we were His enemies. Jesus could very well have said to us, you know what? No. You're, you've treated me like an enemy. I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to leave you there to die. But instead, Jesus says, you've treated me like an enemy. I'm going to treat you like a friend. And He gave Himself for us. Jesus had compassion on us. This is our only hope. Have you believed this good news? Have you believed this good news? Have you believed the story of Jesus that He died for your sin? That He died so that you wouldn't have to be punished in hell for the things that you have done? He died so that you could be justified, you could be declared righteous before God, that you could be approved by God, brought into God's family with a clean record, with no sins to pay for, to be with God forever. Have you, have you believed that? Please believe it today. Please believe it right now. Please believe that Jesus is your Savior. If you have any questions, I'd love to talk with you more about that. Why does Jesus tell this story on the way to Jerusalem? Why does does Luke have it here in this part of the story? It's because it's important for us to understand how much we needed Jesus' mercy. We, we have to understand truth number one, we cannot justify ourselves. And truth number two, we need Jesus to have compassion on us. We cannot justify ourselves. We need Jesus to have compassion on us. And then truth number three, the compassion of Jesus is the only thing that makes us truly compassionate with others. The compassion of Jesus is the only thing that makes us truly compassionate with others. I spent like 30 seconds trying to make that more concise and I gave up. I'm going to read it for you again because it's kind of a mouthful. The compassion of Jesus is the only thing that makes us truly compassionate with others. 
So this is where in the sermon we have to be careful. When we're thinking about the Gospel together, we have to be careful. Because on one on one side, we have to be 100% absolutely crystal clear that we need Jesus to save us. That when, that when Jesus says to, to us, go and do likewise. Go and be a good Samaritan. He is saying that so we'll understand we cannot and we desperately need His mercy. We cannot keep the law of God. We cannot do it. We need the compassion of Jesus. So, so on one level, we have to have that. But then the other obvious thing from the New Testament that we have to, we have to harp on this for a minute too is that the, the person who truly knows the compassion of Jesus, the person who truly knows and has, and has received the grace of God, that person will be more and more driven to show compassion to others. This is Jesus' point back in Luke 7.36 where He said, "You be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He's saying to His, his disciples, to His followers, do you, do you know the mercy of God? The, the people who know the mercy, the compassion of God, the people who have received mercy, they are merciful people. So on one hand, we realize we could never be the Good Samaritan. We could never love God with all our heart. We could never love our neighbor as ourselves. We could never do it. But on the other hand, but on the other hand, when we remember how much compassion Jesus has shown us, when we remember how much mercy Jesus has shown us, then, then the more we want to love the people around us. The more, the more that the, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts because of the Gospel. The more that the grace of God and the Word of God has its effect on us because of the Gospel. The, the more God changes us from the inside out, the, the more that Jesus' compassion becomes real to us, the softer our hearts become. The compassion of Jesus helps us to stop trying to walk on the other side of the road. The compassion of Jesus helps us to stop trying to figure out ways where we don't need to help people. We don't need to be kind to people. We don't, we don't need to love people. We, the, the compassion of Jesus stops us from, from saying, who is my neighbor? Who can I ignore again? Wait, how can I get out of this? To, how can I love my neighbor as myself? We stop looking for ways to avoid loving people and we start looking for, for ways to love people. This happens as we remember last week's verses that, that we are little children. We are helpless and hopeless and God in His mercy because of His gracious will has revealed the Gospel to us. We are 100% dependent upon the grace of God. God has revealed the Gospel to us. And then, and then we remember this week's verses and we remember that we were beaten and broken because of our own sin. And we were, we're not half dead in our sin. This man was left half dead. You, you, you watched Princess Bride, right? He's just mostly dead. Just mostly dead. We can, you know, all dead, we just look for loose change or whatever it is, you know? We're all dead in our sins. We're not half dead like this man. We are completely dead. And Jesus didn't just risk his life, he gave his life. As we remember the compassion of Jesus, we start to fight against our own selfishness. We start to look for ways to show kindness to others. And so it has to happen in that order, and it has to happen with that priority. That's what brings us to our, our second story. 
So we're halfway through the sermon. No, we're, we're almost done. We're almost done. I want to look at this last story, though, in starting in verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. She was busy with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. He's not condemning her. He's not saying it's stupid to help. It's stupid to minister. It's, stu- it's stupid to work. He's, he's trying to help her to understand that there is a priority here. There is a first things first here. There is a, if you don't have this, the rest of it doesn't matter here. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So there's a little bit of whiplash here. If you just, if you kind of read these stories and you don't really think about the gospel, there's a little bit of whiplash here because in one story, Jesus is saying, go be a good Samaritan. And then the very next story, he's like saying, stop doing so much. You need to go and actively love your neighbors. Stop being, stop, stop doing so much. Wait, wait, what? I almost said, it's like talking to my wife, but I decided not to say that because that's not funny. Alright? I don't, I don't actually appreciate that kind of humor. Also, I love you. You're like, Jesus, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? On one level, I gotta go be a good Samaritan. On the next level, I gotta stop serving people. Just help me out. Well, we have to understand why Luke has these together. And we have to understand, Jesus isn't saying don't serve. He's not saying don't minister. The whole New Testament is about, right? It's about serving, right? It's, it, it, we are, if we, the more we know the kindness of Jesus, the more we want to kindly, graciously serve the people in our lives. Absolutely. What Jesus is saying here is, if you don't have this, this time every day in the Word of God, then you are going to end up like the, the man in the first story. You're going to end up like the lawyer. You're going to be, end up looking for ways to justify yourself. This is the way the human brain works. We go, we go so quickly to justifying ourselves to what can we do to be good before God? What can I do to be good before God? What can I do to be good for before? That's just what we do. We just, we just drift into that so quickly. Jesus is saying here, it's not where you start. It doesn't start with doing. It starts with receiving. This is why it's so essential. Church, please listen. It's so essential that we, that we spend time in the Word of God every day. We, res- we spend time in the Gospel every day remembering the grace of God. Remembering that, that we could never justify ourselves, that we are desperate for the compassion of Jesus and He has given it to us. As we remember the grace of God through the Son of God, we we go to the Word of God and we remember the Gospel. We remember all we have because of Him. That's the good portion Jesus is saying. He's saying Mary is dialed in on the good portion. In the Old Testament, the good portion was, was God. You are my portion. Your grace, your glory. You are my portion. Jesus is saying, Mary gets it, Martha. She gets it. It's fine to serve. It's good to serve. But if you are too busy 
doing good things every day, if you're so busy that you don't have time to to spend time in the Word of God, then you are too busy. You and I, we will not truly love people if we don't first know the compassion of Jesus Christ. You and I will end up in self-righteousness. We will end up in trying to figure out if we, if we're, if we're more kind than other people, if we serve more than other people, if we serve enough, if we're this, if we're that, if we're good enough. We will end up in this crazy rat race that we do not want to be in. Because we're just like this lawyer. We're just like Martha. Our, our hearts just kind of go that way. We evaluate ourselves on what we do. Jesus says, no. No. No, there's one important thing. It's it's receiving my grace. If you don't have time to sit and remember my grace every day, then you're just too busy. We saw this last week, right? When the disciples came up to Him and were so excited about all their ministry success. And He says, no, 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 don't rejoice in that. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You rejoice in the grace of God. You rejoice in the mercy of Jesus. The sermon is simple this morning. And I haven't shocked any of you with any of the content. This is, um, except for when I talked about my wife in public again. So, besides that, I haven't shocked you with any of the content. This is stuff we know. We cannot justify ourselves. We need Jesus to have compassion on us. And the compassion of Jesus is the only thing that makes us truly compassionate with others. So we know this stuff, but we drift away from it so sharply and so quickly. The only antidote for that is to go back to the Word of God every single day. Go back to the Word of God. Remember the grace of God. Remember the glory of God. Remember that our inheritance, that we can't do anything to attain, our inheritance is God Himself. And He, in His great mercy, has sent His Son to have compassion on us. And so as we stop and we remember the compassion of Jesus, that's what fuels us. That's what drives us. That's what, that's what, that's what strengthens us to go and love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for Your Word. We're thankful for these stories. There's a lot in here. A lot to think about. A lot to consider. We pray that you would help us to, to think about it this week. We pray that, I mean, if, if, we've, if we've gotten so busy doing just good things, fine things, we're, we're, we're doing good stuff, but if, we, if we've gotten so busy that we've lost track of, of doing the necessary thing, of going to the Word of God, remembering remembering Jesus, remembering the Gospel, remembering His compassion, remembering Your grace, if we've gotten so busy that we we don't have time to sit every day and remember the Gospel, I pray that You'd convict us, God. I pray that You would convict us. I pray that You'd help us to take this seriously. Our Lord and our Savior and our King has said "This this is the necessary thing. This is our portion. Help us, God, to remember how much we need the compassion of Jesus. Help us to 
to sit and remember it every day. And then I pray, God, that you would more and more and more make us into people who, who, who rejoice in the opportunity to love our neighbor as ourselves because the thing we rejoice most in is that because of your mercy and your grace, we, uh, we have our names written in heaven. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.